Day 41 of Heart Dive 365. I'm your Bible study friend, Kanoi. Welcome to the Heart Dive Podcast. Sunday, friends. Today we are in Exodus chapters 33 through 35, where God is going to now command the people to leave Mount Sinai, head to the promised land. But before he does, he's going to renew the covenant with them and remind them of all little things that they need to keep in mind as they go throughout their journey. But before we get started, if you please help us out by hitting that like button, letting us know that you are here on this Super Sunday. But before we begin, if you could please help us out by hitting that like button, letting us know that you are ready to get into God's word. You love being at Bible study. Also, make sure that you're subscribed to the channel. You hit that notification bell so that you know when each video drops each day. And if you have any questions or if you are new here, we welcome you. First of all, let us know where you are in the world, but make sure to check out the show notes or the description box, or you can head to our website, heartdive.org for all the information surrounding this Bible study. Today, we are reading from the ESV translation by Crossway. So before we get into it, let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this Sunday. Lord, it is a super Sunday, not because a grand football game is being played, but because you are amazing. You are awesome. And it is on Sunday, whenever we are in constant remembrance of your resurrection, Jesus. Thank you so much for what you've done. We never take it for granted. Forgive us, Lord, for our sins. And I just ask that you will please increase the capacity within us to be able to hear your voice, to be able to see your face and to be able to receive the word that you are specifically speaking to us today. We are so grateful to be able to come here together in this fellowship as one of your chosen children. What an honor it is to be here today. And so I just pray, Lord, that your glory and your goodness will be seen in every word that we read. We love you so much. Please forgive us for our sins. Also help us to forgive others. In Jesus' name, amen. So we left off the other day with the incident of the golden calf, Moses pleading on behalf of the people for God to have mercy upon them. And of course, we ended that chapter with God sending a plague among the people. So we pick up here in chapter 33, the Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. So because of what happened with the golden calf incident, God is withdrawing his presence, but still maintaining his promise of the presence or the blessing of the promised land. Now, this would be a great test that would prove whether or not they're actually okay with just getting all the blessings, but not having his spirit with them. But if they plead for his presence to remain, this would be the first step back to restoring what was broken and proving their genuine heart and love for him. And we too can gain all the riches in the world. But I assure you that at the end of our lives, if we had not God, they would matter none. So heart check. Do you seek more of God's presence by way of blessings or his spiritual presence. Verse four, and when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned and no one put on his ornaments. 
So by no one putting on their ornaments, this is their way of showing repentance here. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. So here we're seeing a little glimmer of hope that the people are willing to repent. They are mourning. So they did sort of pass the test and their heart seems to be genuine in the desire for God's presence to be with them. Verse six, therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. So him pitching it outside the camp is symbolic of the fact that God's presence is not within the camp, so he doesn't want to be in there either. And perhaps he just needs to get outside of the world, outside of the distractions that might be within that camp to be able to have that time that can be devoted to God. So he's creating a sacred space of worship because the tabernacle isn't yet constructed. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. So here we're seeing a reverent response by the people. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. So they want to worship God, but they're still staying within the comfort of their own tent. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. So remember when we said that Joshua went up with Moses, he accompanied him up the mountain at least halfway. Well, here we see that Joshua is still staying so close to Moses and to this place of worship. And this is going to be the reason why he will be the very one to lead them into the promised land because of his desire to stay close to the Lord. Now, we are going to learn in a little bit that no one could see the face of God, including Moses. So, what does this mean when it says that he would be face to face with him? Well, perhaps it means that either God showed himself by way of human form in a theophany or a Christophany, or it could just mean that it is metaphorical to the fact that he was able to plainly and clearly hear God in this time of meeting with him rather than some of the dreams and visions that the other prophets would hear from God through. So this would be symbolic of free and open fellowship. And again, we will read in 1 John that no one ever saw the face of God. Now, I love how the people watch Moses carefully and they follow what he does. Whenever he worships, they worship. And Moses was simply leading by example. And while we talked about that copycat anointing the other day, this is not that. Because looking to others who are more spiritually mature and seeing how you can implement some of the things that they are doing is a wonderful thing if it is being applied for the glory of God. And on the flip side, you too can be that example for others. So heart check. What practices do you implement into your spiritual walk that have been modeled by others? And how are you leading by example? Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. So he is trying to appeal to the character and the nature of God here. Verse 14, and he said, my presence will go with you and I will 
give you rest. So here, God is answering with a big old, okay, Moses, yes. He promises his presence to be able to go with them. And when he says that he's going to give them rest, they will receive that ultimate rest in the promised land whenever God has driven out all of their enemies. And this, my presence, actually translates to my face. And this was fulfilled through Jesus. Verse 15, and he said to them, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Okay, so Moses is concerned about what other people were thinking about them. Hear me out for a second. He knew that the presence of God among them was the greatest thing that distinguished them from every other nation. And this is interesting because the world will tell us, who cares what people think about you? Do you, boo? And to an extent, I agree. Paul even says that if we are trying to please men, then we would not be servants of Christ. But that's very different from not caring at all. And the enemy will pollute things like apologizing, seeking forgiveness, showing kindness, being humble. And he will make it seem as if it's a bad thing because it'll make you look weak if you do that. Or sometimes we will live our lives saying, I'm going to do and say whatever I want. and I don't care who I offend in the process. But the thing is, is that we should care because what makes us distinct as Christians is that we take on the character of God, the most caring being in the entire universe as his presence dwells within us. We are supposed to show grace and love and mercy and kindness where the world refuses to. And I will tell you that the more that you pour that kind of stuff out, it actually becomes an armor for you against those fiery darts that might come your way. You will be different. So heart check. Are you distinct? Can the world see that you are different because of your likeness to God? Verse 17, And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. So here we see the intimacy that Moses has with God. And Moses said, please show me your glory. So Moses is being pretty bold here in the sense that he's like, okay, I got your presence, but I want your glory too. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. So what is the glory of God? Well, the glory is the weight or the significance or the importance of God's presence. It is what is known as the Shabbat. This is the very thing that would actually bear so much weight on people that it could be deadly. And Moses is requesting for this glory more than anybody has ever received before. And it's something that we will do. You know, we want more of your glory, Lord, more of your glory. But it's interesting because D.L. Moody once asked for the glory of God, and he actually had to beg God to stop because he said that it felt as if it were killing him. And there was one time in my life when I was in high school where I was crying out to God, Lord, please show me your glory. Please show me your presence. Let me know once and for all that you are real. I wanted a sign. I wanted more, just like Moses did here. And I was in my room. It was dark. I had a bunch of candles lit and the air was so still but the candles actually started flickering in a way that I had never seen. And they were doing so unanimously. And that weight was so heavy that I too begged God, okay, okay, I'm good. You don't have to show me anymore. And from that point on, I never again questioned the presence of God. And so when he asked for that, God says, I will show you my goodness. Why does he say that? Well, it's because his glory is in the goodness of who he is. His goodness is his sense of wonder. It is his divine attribute. 
attributes, it is his worth, and it is his majesty. And anytime we hunger for more of God, that is a mark of true restoration and true revival. So he says he'll show his goodness, but he will also proclaim his name. And anytime he speaks of his name, his name is actually his character and his nature. It's not just something that's written on an idea. It's actually the essence of who he is. And he continues here, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So he is saying, you know what? But don't forget, I am still sovereign above all. My purposes will prevail. You are not going to tell me who I'm going to give grace and mercy to. But which here we see some mercy again. He said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. There it is. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So this hand, back and face, that is what is known as anthropomorphism, which is the actions of God being described through human attributes. So again, because God knows that his glory is so heavy that no one can stand in the presence of it and live, he instead is going to place Moses in this rock, protect him, pass by, and then Moses is going to be able to see the glory from behind. The same way that we see the glow of the glory of God whenever we are in the cleft of the rock, the rock of ages through Jesus. Chapter 34, the Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablet, which you broke. So <laughs> there's a little bit of accountability there, but again, this is symbolizing the broken law and the broken covenant after the golden calf incident. But notice he isn't rebuking Moses. He's just reminding him of what happened and continuing on. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you. So why doesn't he want anyone to come up with him? Well, first of all, he has chosen Moses alone to be the intermediary between him and the people. But secondly, I think it's because he's trying to protect everyone else from coming before him carelessly or with just plain curiosity and not true worship. And let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand two tablets of stone. If you ever notice something about some of the greatest men of faith is that they rose early to get things done. Verse five, the Lord descended in the cloud. So this cloud would be his Shekinah glory and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So remember we said that the name of God is his character, his nature. So look at what he says. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God. So when he repeats the Lord and the Lord God, this is essentially saying Yahweh, Yahweh, or Jehovah, Jehovah, which is declaring his eternal, his immutable, and his unchanging nature. So here we see what he says about it. Merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So he's saying, I am patient. I've got a long fuse. I got a whole lot of mercy to dole out here, and I will do so for your children 
children and their children and their children after that. So a lot of people will read this kind of thing and say, oh, their God goes with his generational curses. But I look at it as this is a generational blessing because he is willing to visit the iniquity. He is willing to be there and offer that grace and forgiveness to our children's 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 children. So this is what I mean when we understand the nature of God, the true character of God, we can find his heartbeat where a lot of people can't. And Moses quickly bowed his head down toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. So notice that Moses is including himself among the stiff-necked and stubborn people. Yet he is still pleading with God against the judgment. Verse 10, and he said, behold, I am making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. So this awesome thing specifically will be the conquest of Canaan. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and the Megabites. I'm just joking, you guys. I know some of y'all are like, stop adding to the Bible. I'm just trying to make sure you're paying attention. Verse 12, take care, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their Asherim. So Asherim was known as Baal's wife. She was known as the fertility goddess. For you shall worship no other God for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Now, this word jealous here is not the jealous, the way that we know it, where a boyfriend is jealous of a girlfriend or vice versa. This jealousy is more like a zealous passion for his people. It's not being jealous of them. It is so zealous and passionate for them that he will do anything in his power to be able to protect them. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice. Sacrifice, and you take of their daughters for your sons and their daughters whore after their gods and make your sons whore after their gods. So why is he using this word whore so much? Well, it's because there were so many sexual rituals that were practiced within the pagan cultures of idolatry that he knew the moment they began to compromise, whether it was through relationships with some of these people or just simply having the desire to go astray, that would be the moment that their nation would begin to break down. Verse 18, you shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread as I commanded you at the time appointed in the month of Abib. For in the month of Abib, you came out of from Egypt. All that open the womb are mine, all your male livestock, the first of cow and sheep. The firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Now, every time I read about the donkey and the lamb, it always seems so out of place. But then if you really think about it, who is the sacrificial lamb? That's Jesus. So where does that leave us? We're the donkeys, right? We are the stubborn ones. We are the stupid ones in a sense where Jesus had to be the sacrificial lamb in our place. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem and none shall appear before me empty handed. Now, God is specifically speaking about the dedication of the firstborn here. And while this is not a mandate for us as Christians, we are still held to not being empty-handed whenever we come before the Lord. Now, this isn't speaking of money or works, but praise and adoration, prayer, thanksgiving, and service. This is such a small sacrifice for all that He has done for us. And whenever we are 
are immature in our faith, we will come to God seeking with with empty, open hands, seeking to just get something from Him. We are, in a sense, looking for happiness or a change in our circumstances or maybe even an answered prayer. But it takes maturity to look for opportunities to then bring something to Him, not because we're trying to earn His favor or salvation, but because He's simply worthy of it and our hearts desire to honor Him. So, heart check. Are your hands empty and waiting for a handout from the Lord? Or are you looking for ways to serve Him? Verse 21, six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in the harvest you shall rest. You shall observe the feast of weeks, the first fruits of the wheat harvest, and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. Three times in the year you shall all your males appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. For I will cast out nations before you and enlarge your borders. No one shall covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. So God is saying, Don't forget to observe the feast, to observe the Sabbath, and whenever you make that sacrifice of that seventh day, or you take that day, or the three times a year to come and celebrate these feasts, I will provide where you feel like you are missing out on work or you are missing out on things you could be doing at home. So this will be the full trust in his provision. Verse 25, you shall not offer blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened or let the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover remain until morning. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. So here he is repeating some of the mandates that he had given previously. And the Lord said to Moses, write these words for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets, the words of the covenant, the 10 commandments. Now this would have been a miracle because we can survive weeks without food, but we can only maybe go days without water. And Moses didn't have either for 40 days and 40 nights. So this had to be supernatural. And here again, we see that God was the one who actually wrote the commandments on the tablets. Verse 29, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all his people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him. And Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. So Moses didn't know that his face shone because he wasn't constantly looking in a mirror or taking selfies every five minutes and then posting them to Instagram to make sure that the world could see his shine. He was so humble. And that is why God allowed only him to not only see his glory, but to experience it. And whenever he did, he simply radiated and reflected the glory of God. But once he did figure it out, He put a veil over his face because he didn't want the people to see that it would eventually fade away. And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that Moses was actually worried that they would become discouraged if they knew that the glory was coming to an end. So in a sense, he's kind of covering up his imperfection. And this is one of the biggest reasons why I will correct myself or I will apologize so that I not only hold myself accountable, but also so that I never put myself in a place where I'm above teachability and humility. 
It's also a reminder that I'm an actual human being over here, y'all, who is a student of the word and simply sharing what I have learned each day. Therefore, there's going to be mistakes because I'm human. And because I'm like Peter, I'm going to speak out a turn and I will do it again tomorrow and the next day, as long as I know that his glory is seen and not my own. So what about you? Are you living your life in a constant effort to shine? Are you putting on a veil to cover up an imperfect glory underneath? Verse 34, whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. And we could take this a step further and look at it as the fading glory of the old covenant. It was wonderful and it was beautiful. But there was a veil that separated us from being able to be before the Lord. So Jesus came and gave us a new covenant. He tore that veil so that we would have full access to the Father. Chapter 35. Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, these are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. So the Jewish faith has actually taken this so seriously that they aren't even willing to turn on a light. And this kindling of the fire would represent the fact that they need the light to continue to work. And so that is why I believe it says that there. Once again, we are sandwiching the reminder of the Sabbath between the work, 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 work. Verse four, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair and tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. So here we see the fundraising for the tabernacle taking place. Let every skilled craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its tent and its covering, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars and its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat and the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and all its utensils and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light with its utensils and its lamps and the oil for the light and the altar of incense with its poles and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the screen of the door at the door of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his son for their service as priests. So not only did we have a fundraiser, but we're also having a job fair to be able to find all of the people who can fulfill the crafting of each one of these items. So Moses is giving them the need. He's showing them what needs to take place because even though God is the one who's prompting their hearts to be generous in the giving of these gifts, there's still order 
and such specific details that need to be filled in. And so here we see the fact that God is a God of order, but not only that, He's a God of beauty too. Verse 20, then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, and for all of its service, and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord, and every one who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ram skins or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skills spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. So notice that the leaders are the ones who are leading by example once again. They're bringing the most valuable items here. And the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. Verse 30, then Moses said to the people of Israel, see the Lord has called by name, Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with the skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. So in the end, this is one of the biggest moments of redemption in the Old Testament. One of the few times you will see the people working together in unity pouring out to give. You see, Moses didn't even need to manipulate anyone into doing anything. He just let them know what the need was, and the people gave out of generous hearts. They were moved together with one common goal in mind. And God could have easily given them every single material they needed and built it himself. After all, we're talking about the God who parted the Red Sea. But He wants to partner with us. He wants us to be generous because ultimately, whenever we have a heart to give rather than to hoard, it actually frees us up from selfishness, from covetousness, and from greed. And not only that, but it shifts our focus from ourselves onto others. And again, giving is not just about money or material possessions. We can give of our time, our abilities, our simple service, prayer, encouragement, and the list goes on. So heart check. Where does your giving fall on the scale of generosity? Do you give out of free will or do you need to be forced or guilted into it? And let's go a little bit deeper with some of our deep dive questions. What is your view of the glory of God? How is it still revealed today? Why would people die if they were to see God's face? How does this relate to our lives today? Read chapter 34, verses six through seven. How does this compare to your view of the Old Testament God? Do you see these characteristics displayed in the more difficult passages of the Bible? 
And how do you think Moses survived without food and water for 40 days and nights? What significance does this hold? And how does this reading display the importance of community outreach and involvement? So Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being such a generous God. I pray that our hearts will be moved by you to give where you want us to give. Will you show us how we can do so and help us to see how much it blesses your heart? We don't give to get anything in return, but we know that in being such a good father, you do desire to bless your children. So we continue to trust in your provision just the way that Moses did. We don't need to force or manipulate anything, but we simply need to step up and do the work that you have given us the ability and the skill to do. We desire to partner with you in everything we do. I pray that we will be a people who bring others together in unity, working toward a common goal. I pray for order and beauty in our own spaces and places of worship. We see that everything you did had such purpose. And so I pray that we will be intentional in every single thing we do as well. Help us, Lord, to lead by example and show others what it means to be a leader. I pray that we don't seek out opportunities to shine and be center stage for ourselves, but that we just simply walk in obedience to your will and calling on our lives. We want to operate in authority, but we also want to be humble with the heart of a servant, just as you were, Jesus. May we never think we are better than anyone or feel the need to be an imposter, hiding our imperfections under a veil. We know that it is in her weakness where your strength shines the brightest. So thank you for those teachable moments where we can allow you to pick us up again. Thank you also for reminding us that being humble and seeking forgiveness and being kind and showing grace and mercy and apologizing are all beautiful things. We rebuke the lie that we are somehow weak if we portray ourselves in that manner. We know that when we take on your heart and character, it is actually armor against what he will try to do or say against us. So thank you for your divine protection against those who seek to destroy. We know that no weapon formed against us will prosper. And we thank you for second chances, Lord, especially when our emotions have gotten the best of us and we have broken relationships and covenants because of it. I pray for those who are fighting for restoration and reconciliation in marriages and in estranged relationships. Will you come down and let your glory and goodness be seen? Your name is still the same. You still bear all mercy and grace. You're slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Help us, O oh God, to be the same. Forgive us where we have been stiff-necked or stubborn, trying to go in our own direction, completely bucking up against your will. We may think that the grass looks greener on the other side, but in the end, it's only a filter of the enemy when the other side is without your presence. I plead that we find favor in your eyes today and that we never walk away from you. We thank you so much for never leaving us. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. Heaven and salvation is a divine gift that is given to us by grace. None of us deserve it. In fact, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death and every single one of us have fallen short and then we desperately need someone to pay that price. And Jesus did it. He didn't do it because we are righteous on our own merit. He did it because he loves us and he wants to spend eternity with us. But it won't happen if we don't receive him before we leave this earth as Lord and Savior. Hell is a very real thing and there is no second chance after we take our last breath here. So I wanna be able to give someone the opportunity today who is saying, I'm ready. 
never given my life to Christ. I don't know where I'm going to end up after I die, but I don't want to live another day without knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt where I am going to end up. I see now that this is real and I want to believe. So if that is you, we're going to say a prayer and I'm going to put the words on the screen so that you can say them audibly with your mouth because the Bible says that when you believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he died and rose again, then you will be saved. So we're going to say this prayer together. Believe it in your heart, speak it with your mouth, and know that this is indeed the day of your salvation. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe that you came, you died, and you rose again. I confess my sins to you today, and I turn from them, and I now live my life for you. I know that I am forgiven of all my sins. So I receive you now as Lord and Savior, and I belong to you, Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.